Thank you. And great reflection in your prayer there. Um, we were just looking at 2 Corinthians 4 earlier this week, and what a, what a beautiful passage that is. Such great truths. Um, we were going to have a membership um, presentation this morning, but um, Debbie, one of our new members, was called out of town on a family emergency, so we're going to postpone that. Um, so that we can have everybody up here. Um, If you would join me, if you would stand um, for the reading of God's Word, we're in Genesis chapter 34 this morning, and this is quite the story. Genesis chapter 34, and this is God's Word. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he took her And lay with her by force. He was deeply attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this young girl for a wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. But his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob kept silent until they came in. Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. Now the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they had heard it, and the men were grieved. They were very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing ought not to be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him in marriage." Intermarry with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. Thus you shall live with us, and the land shall be open before you. Live and trade in it and acquire property in it. Shechem also said to her father, or said to her father and to her brothers, If I find favor in your sight, then I will give whatever you say to me. Ask me ever so much bridal payment and gift. And I will give according as you say to me, but give me the girl in marriage. But Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father Hamor with deceit, because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. They said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we consent to you. If you will become like us, and that every male of you be circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters for ourselves. And we will with you, or we will live with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and go. Now the words seemed reasonable to Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. The young man did not delay to do the thing because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. Now he was more respected than all the household of his father. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are friendly with us. Therefore let them live in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters in marriage and let us give our daughters to them. Only on this condition will the men consent to us to live with us to become one people, that every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock and their property and all their animals be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will live with us. All who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and to his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. Now it came about on the third day when they were in pain 
that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went forth. Jacob's sons came upon the slain and looted the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and that which was in the city and that which was in the field, and they captured and looted all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives, even all that was in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites and my men, being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me, and I will be destroyed, I and my household. But they said, Should he treat our sister as a harlot? Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning, Reliance. Um, Adam, it's actually Genesis 35. <laughs> or maybe you take this passage this week. There are several stories within the scriptures, probably three that I can think of, that uh, are tempting to skip over. This is probably my third. One of the challenges is as we come to the Word of God is <laughs> what I was telling Beth about this passage. She goes, is it Family Sunday? <laughs> well, why would you ask? Um, yeah, I think we recognize that this is a shocking passage. In fact, I don't think it needs much introduction. As the reader, we are tempted to ask, what in the world is going on? In fact, some of you might even have heard it for the first time, might ask, that's in the Bible? You have heard me joke about the realities that there are passages that are challenging to come to. And when I come to passages like this and I meditate on it for a week, I am often reminded of Paul's words to Timothy. All Scripture. Every part of it. Is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That is, if we'll let it. Challenge is, is even passage like this, there is something that when you consider it, there is something deeply convictional within it. And often, as we even read it in our own private studies, we read the chapter and we go, that was odd, and jump to chapter 35. If you let it, this portion of Scripture will not fail its standard. And it is able to teach, expose the consequences of a society, or men, or people, who neglect the purity and dignity of a woman. This story has definitely atrocities within it. And what I'd like to do with you is just walk through it uh, and ask the question, what is going wrong in this story? 
What is it that the writer, as he places it before us at this strategic point in the book of Genesis, I mean, let me remind you, it was just last week in Genesis 33, it seems as if Jacob is at his pinnacle. He has finally, after 20 years, reconciled with his brother Esau. Not only that, in the chapter before that, he has wrestled with God and won, well, prevailed. Yet he can't have a limp. But the reality is, is, is as you watch the life of Jacob, he has, has always struggled. And yet, at the pinnacle of his height, the writer doesn't just leave Jacob's story, he places uniquely this situation with one of his daughters. And as men, women, I will be speaking to the men this morning. But as I do, do not please think that I do not speak to you as well. For you play a significant role in shaping the men or future men of your household, even your husband. This will not fail its standard. It is able to equip, able to expose. And sadly, let's just be honest. This is probably like a once-in-a-lifetime event. I don't know when the next time I'm going to preach Dynamite. In fact, I don't know the next time you'll probably hear a sermon preached on Dinah. And so with that, I just ask, this once-in-a-lifetime event, let's dig into it. And ask ourselves, what is he asking us to consider? It is Dinah's horrific tragedy. It has five developments throughout the story. And in the first development, you see the tragedy which Dinah is faced with. Dinah, up to this point, is merely mentioned. Leah, when she has son after son after son, she names a son. And as a result of the son, she describes why her son is named the way that he's named. When it comes to Dinah, she's just merely mentioned as Dinah. Genesis 20, or 30, verse 21. And after being born, all to these sons, after she bore a daughter, and named her Dinah. That's all we know of her up to this point. And in Genesis 34, 1, the author hints, or reminds us, of the conflict that would exist even within Jacob's household. Read with me. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. It is as if here in this one verse, after leaving her off in chapter 30, he, he reminds us of who she is, but also in light of that, the conflict which exists within the family. One might expect that it would read, now Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. But it's not. Because we are reminded that Jacob has picked up the favoritism of his parents and has now extended that to his wives. But Jacob loved Rachel and despised, or the other word, hated Leah. And so Leah, or Dinah, is presented to us as this unique individual within Jacob's house, and she's Leah's daughter. Strike one. Strike two. She is a sister with 11 brothers. Poor girl. 
What's interesting with her, in the midst of Jacob and all the sons, she never speaks. We never know how she thinks about the situation which takes place within her family, nor, or even in this situation. She's silent. She's in a man's world, so to speak, which is, I think, purposeful why the author is doing what he's doing with what he's doing. The men speak. The, ones, the men take advantage. And the men, some, are not protected. Dinah, the, da- the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to visit the daughter of the land. The first tragedy that she was exposed to was a family that was severed. And if you remember, and if you know the story of Genesis, like the favoritism is thick. Jacob's favorite son is the son of Rachel. In a few chapters, we'll see how Jacob treats this son, Joseph. In fact, just to bring your awareness, this morning, Genesis 37.3, now Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph. More than all his sons, because he was the son of his old age. So he made him a very colored tunic. Upon the hearing, his son Joseph was killed. He weeps. It'd be striking to see and remind ourselves again this morning how he responds to the horrific tragedy of Dinah. Not only strike one, she is the daughter of Leah. Strike two, she has a father. It seems it could care less. And not only that, so did the men around the city. Verse two. When Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he took her and laid with her by force. One doesn't have to articulate what this takes place. As the reader, up to this point in the book of Genesis, we haven't seen such hostility take place. But the words are significant in that they remind us of exactly what Eve has done in the garden. Seeing the fruit, seeing that it was good for food, she took and she ate. Yet here, for the first time, we see a man not taking fruit, but actually exposing his rebellious nature on another person. He's a significant individual the writer has shown us. He's of popular status. He is son of Hamorn, a Hivite. He is the prince of the land. But princes do what princes do. They see, they take, they do what they wish. And after the event has taken place and the tragedy has unfolded, verse 3, he was deeply attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. The writer has to remind us of who she is. She's Jacob's daughter. Not just Leah's daughter, Jacob's daughter. And he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. As if that's going to change the situation. Men are weird. And trying to motivate her to love her in response after taking advantage of her doesn't seem to work. Look at verse 4. Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, 
get me this young girl for a wife, not even willing to call her a woman. Verses 1 through 4, you see this conflict. And if you're a father and you're reading it, you're thinking when Jacob finds out, he's going to be livid. In fact, if you read through First and Second Samuel, when King David hears that Tamar has been exposed to the same type of situation, he is beyond livid. He's furious which strikes us by the response in the next development. First development, we see that the tragic event unfold. The second development, you see the family's response. And in the response, you're going to see a father who is complacent, and you're going to see a brotherhood who is responding like the father should be responding. Mind you, Dinah never speaks. I already mentioned this. Nor does Jacob until the very end. Strike. Brilliant writing. First time I watched and read this, I was like, well, maybe the sons are overreacting. When you look at verse 5, it's that they're reacting how Jacob should be reacting. Now Jacob heard. Look at verse 5 in the second development. When Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter, hint, like repetitious language. Jacob, she's your daughter. But his sons were in the livestock in the field, so Jacob kept silent until they came. It's not like Jacob has got Shechem at his door at this moment. He's merely only her. There's no pressure. It's merely... The brothers are out, and so he keeps it to himself. And then it has the, 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 the willingness to let verse 6 take place. And Hamar, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. I'm trying to place myself in Jacob's shoes. I'd have a few words to the father of Shechem. Hand your son over. Yeah, we have a place today that, where we put people like Shechem. They're called prisons. And they serve two functions. The first function, to place the one who has abused another outside of the society so that they don't do it again. The second reason is to protect them from the family in which they abused. The family may not... Overreact. Shechem's father comes to Jacob, and Jacob is willing to hear him out. Jacob's perspective. Brothers, verse 7. Now the sons of Jacob came in from the field, and when they heard it, they were grieved. Rightly so. And they were very angry. I have my own paraphrase. They were livid. I don't know how you say very angry. They, like, they were so hot. Because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. And so the narrator, just to make it more obvious, says, 
for such a thing ought not to be done. We don't need that extra line there. But however, it's clear to him and it's clear to us as the reader, there should be consequences. And in this development, you see part one, the tragic event. Part two, this dysfunctional father and family where they are disunified, they're disunified or they have no harmony, it seems like, where Jacob is just silent concerning his daughters and his, bro- his sons rightly responding to the situation of their sister. So we move on to the third development in this story, the proposal. Could you imagine? In this proposal, you never hear, I'm sorry. In fact, it's as if nothing has been done wrong. Oh man, there's a few words in here with Shechem to make any father livid. I'd be surprised that Jacob is somehow not able to hold his sons back. Hamar speaks directly to Jacob. Verse 8. The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him in marriage. We have a plan. Intermarry with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. Thus you shall live with us and the land shall be open before you. Live and trade in it and acquire property in it. No apology. No mention of something been done wrong. Proceed as normal. And then Shechem speaks. Look at his words. Verse 11. Shechem also said to her father, to her brothers, If I find favor in your sight. Nope, you don't. That's a, the end of conversation. No, you don't. There is no hint of remorse. If I find favor in your sight, then I will give you whatever you say to me. I have resources. Ask of me whatever, so much bridal payment and gift, and I will give according as you say to me. But give me the girl in marriage. When Jacob heard about it, he was silent. When the brothers or his sons heard about it, they are livid. And Shechem and his father are willing to proceed as nothing has been done wrong. And in the midst of the proposal, we have to ask the question, where is Dinah? Where is she? She's not in Jacob's house. As the reader, as we find out shockingly later, she is still held up. And Shechem's house. And the father is silent. And the brothers are rightly livid. Remember when um, earlier, this, this, is, this is a passage that's tense. Remember when Lot was conquered by five kings, taken captive, and he flees for, or Lot is captured and the kings flee with him in all of Lot's properties or possessions. Remember how Abraham responded? Genesis 14, 14. In Genesis 14, when Abraham heard, when Abraham heard that his cousin, family member, 
is held captive by these kings, Abraham heard that his relative had been taken captive. He let out his trained men, born in his house, 318, and went in pursuit for all, as far as Dan. What does Abraham do when a family member is in trouble? Let's go, men. What is the author doing with what he's doing? I find it striking that the response of when it's a woman, interesting. She's locked up, and in the midst of this proposal, these sons, Jacob, are negotiating with a family who's holding all the cards. And you might think in verse 13 that it's Jacob who's going to immediately respond to the situation. No, no, no. The the sons step in. Look at verse 13. Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father Hamor with deceit. Why? They're backed up into a corner. Their sister's in the house, in the city of Hamor and Shechem. And as we come to find out later, it seems to be that the son of the city is participating in this event. And so with deceit, they say, Father, armor with deceit because he had defiled Dinah, their sister, that they move to the fourth movement. I'm going to summarize the fourth movement. And in their response, they said, deceitfully. Yeah, this seems like a great idea. Jacob is not saying anything. This is what we want you to do. Circumcise all the men. Now, I find it interesting that the influence that Shechem Shechem had is is that he is able to get the entire city of men to do this. And which he uses the influence of the city in which they all come out of the city. It plays into the favor of the brothers of Dinah in which they all get circumcised. And in verse 25, they take action. Now what came about, I remember the first time I read this, I laughed. But I don't think it's supposed to be funny. It came about on the third day when they were in pain. The two sons, it only takes two of them. Simon and Levi. And look what they do. Dinah's brothers. Where's Jacob? Where's he at? Silent, he's passive, he's, this is his daughter. The brothers are stepping up, and each took his sword and came upon the city unawares, and they killed every male. They worked their way within, and they killed Hamar and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword, and took Dinah from Shechem's house, and went forth. At first glance, we might think, okay, that's an overreaction. The author doesn't really help us. Was this a moral response to the situation of Dinah's situation? In fact, he waits because the question he wants us to answer is in verse 31. 
Verse 27, after Simon and Levi had finished their tasks, Jacob's sons come in after the remaining. And they come upon the slain, they looted the city, and because of their defiled, because they had defiled their sister, and so they took their flocks, their herds, their donkeys, and captured them. And so do you see the exchange of Hamor being exchanged into the house of Jacob? And that all this preparation leads us to the fifth development. Finally, Jacob speaks. Verse 30. Question that you have to ask, and I have to ask as you read this, is why does now he speak? And Jacob said to Simon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Prezerites. And my men being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me, and I will be destroyed, I and my household. Whom is Jacob worried about? Isn't this true about his whole life? Jacob cares about Jacob. And so when he sees his brother's birthright and wants it, what's he do? He takes it. And when he sees that his father's about to bless Esau, what does he do? He takes it. He's tried that road before. In fact, he has worked for Laban for two wives, one result of deception from Laban, but it was ultimately also for his benefit. Jacob cares about Jacob. And when one of the daughters of Leah, notice the writer has stopped calling her Jacob's daughter. And through sleight of hand, he now says, Dinah is the brothers of Simon and Levi. He doesn't care about her. Shame. But she has experienced at the hand of Shechem. He is now worried about the shame which now is being perceived from the tribes that have considered Simon and Levi's response to retrieving their sister. You've brought trouble on me. You, may, you haven't made me look good. My face is now shamed by those who watch this situation unfold. That the writer carefully in verse 31 shows us the punch of the whole story. And they say, should Shechem treat our sister as a harlot? And the reader knows, and as he finishes the story, no, shouldn't. Fascinating story with strange developments throughout all of it. And now you see a father who should be responding to his daughter. And you all know, as fathers, that daughters are unique within the household. You'll do anything for them. They have this weird ability with their eyes and with their mouth. Dad, whatever. <laughs> but Jacob, 
is unwilling to consider Dinah's situation. He's more concerned about himself. And yet, if we're not careful, we get irritated with Jacob. But the scriptures are not given to convict Jacob, but rather to convict the reader. Which is why I want to spend the rest of our time this morning on our convictional response. One of the significance of what makes this story so convicting, as you ask the situation of what's going wrong within it, because certain men, fathers, other city men, Shechem and Hamor, and those within the city, because certain men neglect the purity and the dignity of a woman, Look at the atrocities which take place. And how many women are being told within this story? One. I don't have to remind you that in the beginning of Genesis, we are reminded as the reader that God not only made man, but he also made woman. When I read the story of Lot being captured by five kings and Abraham gathers 300 plus men to take on the five kings, as a man I read it and I go, yes! That's what you do for family. But strangely, if, if you're like me and you read the story about one woman, about two men who are willing to fight for her, for their sister, you're wondering, is that overkill? And maybe it was. But the author's main thrust is to get you and I as the individual to answer the last question. Should men treat sisters as harlots? No. If there is any morality to be considered within the story, it's that question. And I think like every generation, not just in Jacob, as you read the Old Testament and you even consider our present time. There's a reason why Jesus in his first public sermon in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It was Christ himself, God himself, who knows about the purity and dignity of a woman. And that when men do not honor that purity and dignity throughout all time, atrocities have occurred as a result of that failure to honor that image. Now I know, in the convictional response, it would be too easy to leave us and walk us away just to say, don't lock up dinas in your house. But the reality is, is that has, has exactly what has occurred. I don't like looking at the stats, nor will I mention them because it depresses me. For I know, when I was growing up as a kid, it used to be that you would go to the grocery store and they had the sleeves over the books that were inappropriate. What demeaned the purity and dignity of a woman. And you used to have to pick it up and humble yourself to the 
worst position and purchased it. Today, there are dinas locked in computer rooms, on phones, books under the bed, and like Shechem, go walking on in the midst of the world after abusing her as if nothing has gone wrong. I do know this. Just because the father of Dinah was silent, God, our father, will not. Paul was quite clear on this point in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. What's wrong with sexual immorality? It demeans the purity and dignity of a woman. And when that occurs, all sorts of atrocities take place. Each of you ought to know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. No man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because he's speaking to the beloved. The Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. Man. We must not be found those who are harboring dinas in our minds, in our houses, on our phones, on our computers. And then walk on as if nothing has gone wrong, negotiating with the world as if you're upright. Maybe we should have skipped over it. There is something wrong when we skip over the hard passages. Women, as you shape the minds of young men and even your spouse, spouse, strengthen their perspective of women. That as men, they should be men who honor just like in some ways when they see another woman hurt to be livid about. And so much that it is so tempting, even in our own age, to be the Jacobs. We know we live in a fallen world. And at times, and I must admit this, it is true of me, to be silent. In fact, I live in a world which has tried to not only demean the image of a woman, but neutralize it as common. And no distinction between the male and the female. And all the while, being silent on the matter. There are times in which we should speak into that realm. And when we speak at that realm, not fear. It is not hate. The truth we speak. That God both makes the man and the woman And in that regard, carry purity and dignity and value and worth. 
And whether it be a man or a woman, there should not be the shaming of the other. Sadly, we live in a society which has built an entire infrastructure which demeans the woman. Sells her image to make a profit. I don't want to leave with just that conviction. I think we all know we fall guilty. Because I want to end with hope. God was gracious to Jacob. And he's like, in my, our standards, Jacob, you're done. The grace of God is phenomenal. And Paul knew it. Jacob knew it. Isaac knew it. Abraham knew it. The fathers of the Old Testament knew it. And in the New Testament, that Paul writes, even in a society in Corinth, where this was an issue, he reminds them of this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexual, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers. Like, we're in that list. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God. Yet some were, such were some of you. And the grace of God is this, even though we have harbored the dinos. The God that was gracious to Jacob is also gracious to us. Some were such of you. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of our God. There's a verse in this story which I hope reliance can claim. In Genesis 34, when the sons of Jacob came from the field when they heard it, the men were grieved. They were very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing ought not be done. It should not be found in the house of Israel. And so would be my hope that it would not be found in the house of the Lord, his people. Harboring the images of Dinah. Let's pray. Lord, we confess. And I could probably speak, and I can speak on all of us as men. We have been found guilty. Lord, we have been silent as like Jacob. We have gone about as if nothing has been done wrong like Shechem. Lord, forgive us for our sins. We plead with you that you would continue to be gracious towards us. Lord, I pray that as we come to see the beauty of whom you've created, but we see the images of God that you have created with their worth and dignity. And that we would not walk like the Gentiles do, filled with lust, with a fear and reverence for who you are. And that, yes, Jacob's sons took action, 
And yes, Jacob didn't take action. We know you will respond. And so, Lord, in fear of that, re that, re that regard, Lord, I pray that we would be the people that as men that we could confront one another in this area, that we would not remain silent or go about as if nothing has gone wrong, but confess our sins to one another, knowing this is exactly what you do towards us and that you forgive us, that you're gracious and you're patient with us, just as you were with Jacob. And that we be a people that are known for not participating in this type of thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.